1: Hello and welcome to the political party. Today's guest is Gary Neville. This is even better than you will have hoped for. This is an absolute treat. Before I go on to that, I should just address how I sound. If I sound a bit slurry or whistly, it's because I had an impacted wisdom tooth removed. I do mention this in the stand-up section of today's show, but I underappreciated how long it would take to recover from this procedure. I'd, I'd been putting it off for years, so I needed to have it done. I think as well, in my defence, I don't think my dentist adequately explained <laughs> how long it takes to recover from something like this. I mean, I couldn't speak a couple of days ago, so this, anyway, that's why I sound a bit funny. Hopefully by the next episode, I will be fully healed. Um, And to let you know that the next three guests are confirmed. So uh, the next three guests at the political party at the Duchess Theatre, on the 27th of June, my next guest is David Davis. Now, what sometimes timing just is amazing because I, I booked david davis weeks months ago and now he's going to appear at the next show when his old comrade boris johnson a man i think david davis was the first tory mp to call on him uh to resign uh is now leadership is just teetering on the brink and along comes uh, a, a booking from the gods so david Davis and that will be electric i mean the Yeah, I think of these shows sometimes, and I do them entirely for the pleasure, but there is some way you think, oh, my God, so much is going to come out of that interview. You know, you can see it already. David Davis is always a brilliant guest, but there could not be a better time to be talking to Boris Johnson's old compadre, another man calling on him to resign, David Davis, at a time when, I mean, any intervention on Boris Johnson's leadership is, is critical, is crucial to his survival. So that... My word, we may well hold the Prime Minister's fate in our hands that evening. So get on to that. That's on Monday, the 27th of June. Two weeks after that, on the 11th of July, I can't wait. The new Speaker of the House of Commons, Lindsay Hoyle, a massive character and uh, someone like all speakers, they set a particular tone. And I think everyone is still adjusting to what Lindsay Hoyle is and uh, the effect he's having on the House of Commons. And just confirmed the 25th of July... He's one of the best guests I've ever had on this show. And I know so many of you are fond of him on left and right. Alan Johnson uh, is back. And, oh, man, I just love talking to Alan Johnson. He's always funny. You know, he's one of the warmest people I've ever met, as well as just being mega sharp. And, of course, has a special place in history, arguably is the, the greatest prime minister we never had. So, a great mix of guests there. And the show will continue at the Duchess Theatre after the summer. So dates from September about to go on sale. I have already booked w- what can really only be described as some mega guests. Uh, so uh, follow my Twitter feed, at Matt Ford. Check the Duchess Theatre website. Or go to mattford.com slash live. Uh, and I'm doing three at the Edinburgh Festival. So I'm taking my new stand-up show to the Edinburgh Festival. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Uh, that's at the Edinburgh Festival from the 3rd to the 28th. At the brilliant Pleasance Courtyard um but i'm also doing some political party specials and here are the guests on the 7th of august at the McEwen hall my guest is gordon brown oh my word can i not wait for that on the 15th of august at the gilded balloon tv my guest is Anna Sawa. always a treat and on the 22nd of august that's the 22nd of august at the Gilder Balloon TV, my guest is Joanna Cherry. So a real mix of guests uh, with lots of different things to say. They will all be wonderful. But enough, enough of talk of future guests and future shows. It is time now to focus on today's guest, Gary Neville, who I've been a fan of for so long. As you can imagine, being a, a, a football fan and an England fan, um, at, at 39 years old, Gary's been involved in some of the most iconic moments to my fondest memories of watching England and as a pundit is so exciting and just so entertaining him and Jamie Carragher together they are brilliant they've helped make football even more entertaining I've never wanted to watch punditry more I mean I was never bothered about it really growing up I just thought it was boring watching Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher debate or argue or discuss however you describe it after football matches and you can see why. If you're not into football you will totally understand why Gary has become such a star or, or maintained his um, fame after playing because he's just such a magnetic speaker and hearing him talk about politics is electric and he is very clever clearly thinks about things a lot he's, he's someone of very very strong values, very very funny but is fueled. By a real righteous anger in a way does it an injustice but it is it, he is motivated to change the world for the better and and as and not just in a kind of airy fairy way he really thinks about it and there are times during this interview where you will forget you're listening to an ex-football i mean i certainly did i began to interview him as if he was a politician because that's because he's that impressive anyway there's so much to enjoy about this. But of course, um, I, I got to enjoy myself and I uh, audience enjoyed it as well with a, a fortnight, really, that was a blessing, uh, comedy-wise. There was so much to, uh, to, to, to poke fun at about what had happened around the uh, confidence vote with Boris Johnson. Um, but of course, I uh, began by acknowledging that this was the first time that I had had an ex-footballer live on the show. So I'll just uh, periodically in the f- next few months I will pepper members of England's Euro '96 squad. <laughs> uh, look forward to a forthcoming show with David Seaman. Uh, talking of Seaman, the Prime Minister survived <laughs> a vote of no confidence in his leadership. You might, have said, I mean, my God, it was something. The drama was something worthy of Sky Sports. That's right. Breaking news: Boris Johnson is about to face a vote of no confidence. We're we'll bringing you everything live until the crucial result. Around 9pm tonight, when the confidence window closes, we'll be talking to allies and opponents of the Prime Minister, and we'll also be speaking to a man who survived a vote of no confidence and stayed. That's right, you can watch our new documentary about Jeremy Corbyn, The Maxist Miracle. <laughs> That's on the red button now. Well, that means the confidence window has closed. We're going live to Martin Taylor. Well, Jim many things have been said in the last few weeks and it all comes down to this a big result needed for a big leader and it's coming up we're at committee room 14 of the house of commons and it's live i've had a um, i don't know if you can tell i sound a bit i've had a wisdom tooth removed um, just in case you think i'm well i sound like i've had a stroke as far as aware I, I haven't had a stroke but um just in case you think i'm do I sound a bit whistly yes. <laughs> I thought I'll get through it and see if they notice or not but uh, thanks for that. Um, Rob, by the way, Dominic Rob, on the way to vote, Q jumped. Dominic Raab pushed in to vote a, a potential future candidate. Pushed in. At the, I mean it doesn't surprise me at all that he pushed in. I still can't, how has he not had the shit kicked out of him yet? <laughs> You know, people pushing queues, it's not anything. It's never their first time. they will be pushing in queues all over this country. People just stood there. He's one of those people, you know when you're in Pret and I know that technically you're supposed to queue either side, but a a, a weight of opinion forms and you go, no, we are just all going to queue on this side (laughs) rather than hedge, because it's too awkward. again. well, I know you were first, but then you went and got an apple. So just, we're all just going to use this one big thing and we're going to leave that lane empty, but we've all, unspoken we just agree to this he's the sort of prick would just walk right up on the other side oh sorry is there a queue i didn't realize no mate this is the annual meeting of the stationary conga society We've come to pret every year and gawp for our own amusement he's the sort of guy when the lanes merge on the motorway it's the same thing you go okay well we're just gonna have to suck it up for a bit and then one lane forms even though the middle lane is still usable he's the sort of prick will go right down it in a beamer Someone with you go? Who is that prick? You just go, Rob. (laughs) That's who it is. I bet it's Dominic Rob. Have you ever heard the phrase? uh, Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, "A man so selfish he would unplug someone's life support machine to charge his mobile phone"?
2: (laughs) Whenever I hear it,
1: he's the first person I think of. (laughs) Although the difference is, he's not just evil. He's thick as well. <laughs> so he will come undone. He will end up unplugging his own life support machine <laughs> to charge his mobile phone. So there is that. And watching the result, well, watching all the Tory backbenchers love their day. Graham Brady, the chair of the 1922 committee, loving his moment live on Sky News, like a vicar on Songs of Praise. <laughs> Finally, it's on telly once a year. We are gathered here today for our annual vote of confidence in a Conservative <laughs> Prime Minister. Might I just say how lovely it is to see so many of you here today. And today, votes of confidence remind us, of course, just get on with it, mate, get on with it. And of course, as a party, we have a chance to face up. Just get on with it, mate, get on with it. And of course, today is also about integrity. And let us not forget what Jesus said to Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, for ye have betrayed me, but fear not, for you are a lying, treacherous bastard. And. I regret to inform you. I mean, he didn't even get a gagging, did he? Like, make you live on telly. He could have at least said, and that means I regret to inform you, we have confidence in Boris Johnson. (laughs) He just read the results out like they were sort of normal news. Uh, But 211 Tory MPs uh, voted in favour of Boris Johnson. So, you know, if if this was the Bible, we know at least in, in this country the 211 people who would have been shouting to free Barabbas that's basically, well, Barabbas Johnson, you know, I mean, you could sort of uh, see him as a, as a biblical, no, 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 well, I, 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 I'm glad that the. no, I think it's right that Jesus Christ is crucified and said to me, no, I do, know I do, uh, well, look, I, I'm going to get on with the people's priorities of Jerusalem, yes, I am, uh, well, look, did you know, for instance, we sent 350 million shekels a week to Galilee, yes, we do, and, uh, yes, we do. and that's why we've got to get crucifixion done, ah, uh, yes,
2: if yeah. Yeah, you
1: no, know, I've got a lot of pilot schemes, oh yeah, a bunch pilot schemes, you rule that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's the fact that to 211 in favour, 148 again, I mean, I, I'm not sure anyone here would have guessed the scale of that rebellion, it was amazing. So it was a genuine rebellion against the Prime Minister from his own party. But then he comes out and says, well, I, 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 the vote, of course, was convincing and decisive. And you think, you can't, uh, well, obviously he can, and he has to, it's frustrating to watch him not even be good at politics, not even... I know it's hard for me to tell the truth, but a more honest reaction to that would have gone better with the country, I think. If it had just been more honest and said, look, well, look, I, I knew it was perhaps closer than uh, any Prime Minister would like. Uh, but, uh, look, it, it, it was a victory uh, with a clear margin, and, and look, I'm, I'm going to get on now, and I'm going to reach out to the people, even to those who voted against me, and I'm going to, uh, well, with an immediate campaign, you ask out, uh, uh, by persecuting the bastards who voted against me, uh, because it's fuck all they can do for another year. Ha! Yes! <laughs> a little more, uh, more honest. But uh, one of the phrases I heard someone say, a uh, 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 Johnson loyalist said, Well, a win's a win. And I think, yeah, <laughs> sort of, isn't it? Isn't, isn't it like 41% of your own MPs hate your guts and the rest of us have to be governed by an incompetent, corrupt prick? It's not quite a close shave in the Carabao Cup.
2: <laughs>
1: it sounds more like Jamie Carragher defending Stephen Gerrard. Well, look, I'm not saying he wouldn't want to come from behind. Of course it's hard to go to Port Vale, but look, if you're Aston Villa, look, a wins a win. That's the only uh, other member of Sky Sports I'll be impersonating tonight. (laughs) For my own own personal safety. But um, someone else said of uh, of Boris Johnson, well, he's got to draw a line under this now. This draws a line under it. Uh, We're going to move on, but it draws a line. Now, if you saw the TV interview with Boris Johnson, he gave in the immediate wake of, of the uh, interview not so much that he drew a line uh, so much as snorted it <laughs> there's genuine concerns now that the prime minister is a cocaine is on coke all the time you just think you know what he could do cocaine live on tv and they would still defend him <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg would be out there going oh well it's no different to Harold Wilson's pipe No, no, no. But, uh, 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 uh,
2: uh, uh, uh. Well,
1: there is, I'm afraid that is President. Well, to a lot of people, uh, well, tobacco is drug, and, uh, well, if one Prime Minister was there, then why not another? And, well, I'm afraid, well I, where were these Labour MPs when Harold Wilson was smoking? I, I don't remember Lisa Nandy piping up. <laughs> uh, the fact she wasn't born is irrelevant. If she cared so much, she would have been there. Uh, look, uh, you know, we are all partial to stimulants. Tony Blair liked coffee. I, myself, am partial to strawberry jam. And
2: <laughs>
1: the, the Prime Minister uh, enjoyed regularly three grams of Colombian pure uh, smashed right up his nostrils until it collides with his cranium and you know who can blame him frankly Nadine would be out there no no, the Prime Minister is not uh, not, uh, you're getting this wrong the Prime Minister is winning the war on drugs with Ukraine I mean, arguably, I think some of our previous Prime Ministers could have done with taking drugs. I think Gordon Brown on ecstasy would have been a bit better for us all. Uh, no, Tony, look, uh, no, 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 I, I, Tony, I have to say that, you know, I feel a great surge uh, of, of feeling, of, of energy, uh, uh, an energy uh, that, is, that is pure love, uh, a love, un- a fiscally responsible love, underpinned by strong values, values that allow us to say that no child should be left behind, and if there is a big fish, a small fish, and a cardboard box, the small fish should get it first, these are our values. And then Keir Starmer pops up. You might have seen it, you're watching it live on Sky. amazing timing from Starmer. You saw this whole car crash happen. And then Keir Starmer pops up and does like a minute long live press conference. You go, this is perfect timing. And he goes, the Tory party tonight had a decision. Actually, having a wisdom tooth out helps with the Keir Starmer. (laughs) I just spread the other three out over the next six months. (laughs) The Tory party that had a decision to make. They could grow a backpack, or they could stick with the leadership of Boris Johnson. The British people are fed up, fed up. They think, well, this is really good, but like, get to... I think it would have been better if they just popped up and go, I'm Keir Starmer. I mean, I can't believe they've gone and bloody done it. <laughs> Tossers. <laughs> and that was it. Just the in-, in fact, I think Keir Starmer should pop up after all major news events. Here's a quick minute, Kirstarber again.
2: <laughs>
1: Asking my opinion, I'll put it simply I've started with Foden and Grealish. <laughs> See you next week. One of Boris Johnson's strongest allies, of course, is uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the leader of Ukraine, and uh, you may have seen the video of him saying, uh, I'm glad that Boris won. He's a very strong ally. This is great news. Now, I, I won't say I'm going off Zelensky. <laughs> Starting to agree with less of what he says. I'll put it that way. I mean, he could have at least, he could have at least qualified it a bit. You know, he could have said he's a strong ally for Ukraine. I'm fan of what he's doing for country. But I know in Britain, not everyone is fan. He's, I uh, how you say, um, a sack of pork. He's a, um, a scumfuck, whatever you call him. He's. Uh, <laughs> Sort of guy that would uh, unplug your life support to charge his own phone, <laughs> and then use phones to take dick pic to send to a woman who is not his wife. But to me he's a very good friend. That might have been a a, a nicer moment. But the, the funniest bit in a week that was so funny is again, watch this on YouTube, Boris Johnson being interviewed by Mumsnet. Net. And there are so many amazing bits. And the first question she says to me, she says. Our first question is from Tim Booth's Eyes. Now, the problem is Mumsnet obviously is a message board, so all the names are from like accounts with silly names. You're like holding the Prime Minister to account with message board pseudonyms. So, she goes, so the first question is from Tim Booth's Eyes, and Tim Booth's Eyes asks, how can we believe a word you say when it is proven that you are uh, a blatant liar? <laughs> That's the start of the interview. Not <laughs> I think every interview with Boris Johnson should start like that? You're watching Sky News Loud 5. We're joined now by the Prime Minister. Prime Minister, uh, before we start, it should be said that you have been proven to be a
2: habitual
1: liar. I want you to tell me now about the situation in Ukraine. I think it just serves as a nice reminder to us all, but there's a bit where... Because obviously doing it like that... Another one of the questions is from Wichita linesman. Does that thing that all politicians do where He tries to use the name of the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, what I would say to the which to the, Wichita, uh, to, the uh, to, to the person uh, to the question is interesting. It robs them of that in a way because obviously what politicians love to do. Cameron was really good at it. No, no, no. I, I agree with what Kate said, and you know, what, what I would say to Kate is if you have got a small business and you're having a go, Kate, and you want to you want to get all. You know, we're on your side. Keep, keep, And it was like, they get your name, and you go, oh, I think they really like me. You know, it's like basic shit. You cannot do that with Mum's Neck. <laughs> well, look, I would simply say to, to, to Ginocorp57 that uh, I referred to the answer that I gave to Beverard you 83. Uh, I mean, actually, on Mum's net, none of the names are horrible. It's a good job he wasn't doing it with Lab Bible. Well, look, I would say to Top Dogger69 that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Firstly, I think we've got a lot in common. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh think about talking, but I will I will look into what more we can do to uh, you know free their law up in, the, in Britain's lay-by's. So uh, <laughs> thank you say so the final question she asks him what his favourite biscuit is, and you think, that is a risky question to ask an old Etonian. <laughs> Where's this going? <clears throat> Welcome back. Well, 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 what a special night this is going to be. Uh, Someone I've wanted to interview for a very long time. It's a sort of catchphrase on the show for those of you who have not been before. And uh, Well, what a legend. My word. Eight Premier League titles. Three FA Cups, two League Cups, two Champions Leagues, more games played for England than any other player at a European Championship. And on top of that, may soon add a seat on Trafford Council. Please welcome Manchester United and England legend and Labour Party
3: member, Gary Neville!
1: Oh, God, like Gary, welcome to the
3: show. It's nice to be here. A bit nervous, actually. What, yeah, because bit. it's political? Yeah, political, theatre, not ordinarily something I do, but. We'll have a go, will not we? <laughs> yeah!
1: I can't imagine. It's, it's, it, it would be strange, not just for me, but for people here to imagine someone who's played for England at the highest level, played in that 1999 Champions League final, would be yeah. nervous just of, you know, sitting here amongst some lovely people in the theatre one evening.
3: I think it is the word political that makes me nervous, <laughs> and then understanding what my position is in politics, as I don't have one. Uh, and then the idea, of, I think to be fair, it's always good to get a little bit of nerves. And I do before I go on, Monday Night Football in particular, that minute or two before we go on air, it's live, four hours, you don't know what's going to happen next, you certainly don't know what's going to come out of Carragher's mouth next. <laughs> and absolutely he doesn't know what's going to come out of his <laughs> mouth next. So you're always a little bit on edge, thinking you've got to be ready. Um, and I think it's a good thing sometimes.
1: Yeah, and I guess because you're now getting asked to go on political shows and things, that might be out of your comfort zone. I'm getting asked a lot,
3: and um, I know I, I know why. Obviously, because on Twitter I'm uh, outspoken. I'm furious with what's going on at the moment and what's gone on in the last couple of years. Standards uh, within Number Ten Downing Street, but generally within government, have annoyed me. I think many others, and I felt as though it was—it's no longer acceptable to be quiet in life. It's no longer acceptable. <laughs> it's just, you know. And that sometimes means that you get criticised for having an opinion on everything or, you you know, you know it all and I get all that every single day on on social media fed back to me. But I think I would be a lot more quiet if this Prime Minister changed. Even if it was a Conservative government, I would be a lot more sensible, I would be a lot more, (laughs) no, I wouldn't be as, uh, as, I suppose, angry, I wouldn't be as um, passionate as I am about it. But this has got to change. So that's why I think in the last sort of, if you like, couple of years, I've sort of, you know, said, no, enough's enough. You know, I was told by Sir Alex Ferguson when I was younger that if you see something that's wrong, then you must say it and you must be bold and take risks. And it is a risk because, to be fair, I've now got a spectator coming after me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's sort of stimulated them. I've got Prenton Tommy I've just shown you on Twitter, yeah. with his 15 Union Jack flags next to him. <laughs> and his hashtag Gary Neville is a tosser. <laughs> and I never asked for Prenton Tommy to come after me, you know what I mean? I've, I've retired mate, I've run my race. I just don't like this government. So, <laughs> what are the Spectator going after you for? Um, they just have. They've done a couple of articles and I thought I've never heard of these before. These have never come in sort of my world. Um, and I thought, all oh, right. And then I read. I, I, I think he was. The, he was the editor of it, wasn't he? Ah, uh, yeah. Yes, he was. The was. Editor? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was the editor of it, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, so I thought, right, there'll be some. He'll have a mate there, won't he? Somewhere, I suppose. And that's how it works round here. Because,
1: <laughs> well, you played at Old Trafford week in, week out. I thought you'd be comfortable with performing in front of lots of spectators.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was also, to be fair, comfortable being criticised for something that I am very comfortable at doing, but I accept, I'm, you know, I'm not a politician, I, I don't even know a lot about politics, and when sometimes, and in fact there certain areas of politics I don't understand and don't get, um, in fact one of the things that always amazes me is when they're actually asked questions about every single sector, you know, even even Johnson. You know, I see him as a CEO of a business. If you're the CEO of a business, I don't expect you to know every single sector of that business. I have no problem, actually, if I'm in charge of business, which I am, and someone asks me about, say, for instance, the sales and marketing um, plan for the next month, I'll say, I'm not aware of it, but I'll put you in touch with my marketing director, and they'll, but they try to be experts in everything, and it's sort of, I, d- I just don't really get it, and um, yeah, I'm struggling with it at the moment badly, because I think it's a real poor reflection on us. I really have great faith in our country, a great faith in the people in our country f- from all different parts of the country not just the north of England and I think we're being let down <laughs> it will be easy to come in here and say you're a bunch of southern wankers <laughs> <wasn't it? laughs> but I'm not going to do that because I spend a lot of time down here and t- <laughs> I spend a lot of time down here now, actually I stay at the crinthy just round the corner, literally about 500 yards.
2: from
3: <laughs> hell. Me and Carragher, fucking honestly. Brent uh, and Tommy had you I know, wrong. Carragher, he's drinking red wine, he writes for the Telegraph, he's staying in Whitehall, <laughs> fucking hell, he's from Bootle. <laughs> But, you know, I I spend a lot of time down. I didn't used to like London when I played football because we used to come down here and just get stuck in traffic (laughs) constantly. And it used to take us ages to get like a mile and a half from Chelsea or from Crystal Palace or from Tottenham. They're the worst grounds in the world to get away from. If you've ever been to them, it's an absolute disaster. (laughs) Um, But that was my experience of London. Now I come down, spend two or three days a week here. And actually, I would honestly say this is one of the greatest cities that I've ever been to in the world. And through football, I've been to a lot of cities. So, and and I, I, I say that without sort of any hesitation whatsoever.
1: And to, is it that you were always, do you think, a bit left-wing and that around Boris Johnson becoming Prime Minister has, has forced you, in yeah. a way, to become more active or did you have no previous political or thoughts at all and it's all just happened there?
3: So my politics growing up was one of my dad voted Labour and was staunch Labour and my mum votes Tory. Um, my dad's no longer with us but my mum still votes Tory to this day and my mum's mum and dad had a business in the late 70s that was shut down they didn't believe labour was good for business and they believed they were let down by labour government and they never voted for labour again ever through labour economic policy my dad was from sort of bolton he grew up in social housing his parents my nan and grandad lived in social housing until 10 years ago when they both sort of passed away Uh, my nan um claim benefits, she couldn't work, she was um, she was struggling. And they both had very different sort of tales to tell when I asked them about politics and why they voted for each other. And to be fair, it was never a real sort of massive conversation in our house. We were a big sporting family, and sport was absolutely the constant. But then when I started to get older, I recognised that actually, that, you know, even now I think to myself, well, why can't both be happy? Why couldn't both be happy? I know that sort of, if you like, moving sort of towards the centre. But then in football... Um, I was managed by Sir Alex Ferguson and every single team talk that we had was split into three 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 sort of if you like areas. The first was an inspirational story to tap into us here. You know, what's gonna what's gonna keep us going? And people say to you, what why could you keep going for 20 years every single week, winning Premier League title after Premier League title? I think that first five, ten minutes of his team talk every single week was the moment. He would then look at the opposition and then he would say, This is how we're going to win the game. So it would be, This is what the opposition is like. You need to attend to these um, strengths that they have. And then he would tell us about how we need to win the game. But that first part was always around stories of working hard. You know, him striking when he was younger and sort of governing the shipyards, stories of his parents, stories of our grandparents. And actually tapping into my heartstrings were stories that he always used to tell about our grandparents waking up in the morning with a shirt and tie on having real pride in what they stood for a good work ethic you know the, what they went through in sort of world war ii which he obviously would, would refer to and that inspiration of how lucky we are Then he talk about things like you know looking after one another you know there'll be someone out there on that pitch today that's struggling that's not having the best game make sure you look after them you'll need them sometime in your life and be proud to work with each other and this team spirit and these stories poured out every single week And then I was made a PFA union rep, which was the rep rep for the PFA players' union when I was 23, when Brian McClare left the club. So I was on the PFA management committee, which was representing players' rights. And I was really, really passionate about that role in the sense of that wasn't looking after the 200 grand a week players. That was looking after the players who were sort of in the 50s and 60s, who needed sort of, if you like, support, mental health support. Um, They needed care, a lot of them suffering with dementia. It could be young players who've been booted out of the game who needed education, who needed upskilling from where they were at. So I always remember bit fighting very hard for players' rights. We threatened to go on strike in 2002 when the Premier League staff wanted to remove the um, subsidy that they were paying to the PFA. So I led, um, I led a movement of senior players along with Gordon Taylor at that time and the PFA Management Committee to say we'll go on strike, we'll fight for those players who need that money. And it's not the players who were on the big money, it's the players who, if you like, need that education, the young players who were kicked out of the game more the, if you like, players who've retired. So I always had that spirit and then Sir Alex was obviously from that background of fighting for each other, working for each other, ne- never letting each other down. So I suppose that is left, but on the other hand I was surrounded by a group of multi-millionaires. Who had? <laughs> this is where it falls over. <laughs> this is where the champagne gets added to the socialist bit. Uh, <laughs> um, and yet, you can still be a millionaire because that, Sir Alex was a millionaire, and he had a wine collection, and he had all these things that were fantastic. He had watches, went to the horse racing, all things that the aristocracy do in this country. And we were the same we had sort of, you know players lived in cheshire in big houses but we were good lads and we looked after each other and we looked after our families and we looked after our community so that's where my politics comes from is that i think you can really do well and i want you to do well i want you to be enthused and i'm entrepreneurial i believe in profit i have businesses and they have to make profit or else they won't survive not that i will bankrupt them i'll always put my money in to pull them out of the mess and then we'll close them down maybe if we have to but that means jobs are lost And the greatest responsibility I have is is making sure that the teams who I work with get their money at the end of the week and that they're enthused every single day and that they work hard. So you can do that from a place of, of, of wealth, whether it be significant wealth or whether it be moderate wealth, you know. So I think I was growing up in an environment where with Sir Alex Ferguson, we were called, you know, the WAGS culture. We were described as, you know footballers giving it large and sort of all that sort of stuff. We were described in, by the media every single day, but that's not the person I knew. That wasn't Patrice Ever from France or Eric Jember Jember from Cameroon or Nemanja Yvedic from Serbia. Or the, they weren't like that. There were people who all had... Footballers come from working-class backgrounds. There are very few posh football players, trust me. (laughs) Because posh people don't tend to want to go out in the street and get muddy when they're younger. They want to go and play golf, go and drive the F1 car. You know, there are very few... I did you play with a football player, apart from Gerard Piquet, I went to interview a few months ago. I don't think I played for one football player who didn't come from a working-class background, and who remained true to their roots. Because of the grounding and the sort of advice that we were given every single day by our mentors in the change room, senior players, but also Sir Alex Ferguson. So thinking of some
1: of the other players that you played with at United first, would they have shared the similar things? Paul Scholes would, would have similar values.
3: Politics. Paul yeah. Scholes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: Not at all. Well, <laughs> any of them, have. Do you know something though? I think if you if you push them, and I don't. <laughs> Well, if they take Carragher. I mean, to be fair, I didn't like the guy at all (laughs) when I played against him. And now, to be fair, we've become really good friends. No one can align if you've come from where we've come from, if you've come from where you've come from. I don't think anybody can align with this current Prime Minister. And the one question that I can't find the answer to and nobody can tell me is, why in such volume have people voted for him? So... It may be because of, obviously, the last election relating to Brexit, relating to the dislike of Jeremy Corbyn. That that absolutely could play into it. I'm hoping that's the case. But I think it would be very dangerous of Labour to actually rely upon that. Because there are still quite a lot of people, and I see them on my timeline <laughs> every day, who are supportive of the guy, even now today. But it's falling apart around him. Because he's still there. He's the worst form, he's the worst type of leader. When you think of the leadership that I experienced, Sir Alex Ferguson stood by... Everybody that he could in the whole club, all 500 people that worked at Manchester United were equal. You know, Gay and Theresa, who cut the food in the canteen. You know, Debbie, who basically worked on the charity side. John, who run the foundation. He knew it. We all knew every single one. Every single one. This guy throws people under a bus. His comes. T- his comes team get thrown away. His chief of staff get thrown away. His, you know, his g- junior people were looking. He's happy to let them all go and say that he'll rebuild. But that's not what a leader does, really. You take responsibility for the decisions and the things that happen, and he's the worst type of leader. So I think if you said to any football player currently, is this a manager that you could respond to, they would say, no. You wouldn't want him as the head teacher of your child. You wouldn't want him as the doctor of your brother. You wouldn't want him as any... imagine him being your accountant (laughs) imagine him being your lawyer all these sort of people that we really trust in life our teachers, our lawyers, our accountants people who have got real standing this guy I could not see being any position of standing in this country or any position of standing in my life I would never have him in any one of my businesses he would not survive in any part of my business (laughs) and Joe Ike he's not a good bloke (laughs) And that's, that's nothing to do with Conservative or Labour. I think we should definitely be able to have our differences, whether you vote Tory or you vote Labour. We just still... I think we recognise, to be fair, we recognise a wrong one, don't we? <laughs> we do. We all recognise a wrong and This guy's a wrong one. So let, I think the Conservative Party need to change their leader, and then there'll be a fair race going into the next election, whereby hopefully we've got two you know, more respectable figures than we've currently got. But they might pick Dominic Raab. <laughs> I heard you before describe him, that's what I call him, (laughs) Raab. It's insulting, she's calling him Raab, you know, Raab, Reese mogg Patel. And it's just, I can't wait to see the back of them really. You know, she called the uh, immigration policy to Rwanda world leading. It's not world leading, it's not, it's a policy, it's something that she's put in place and she believes in it maybe, that's fine. But it's not world leading, everything's world leading. (laughs) <laughs> it's a bag of shit. <laughs> a world-leading bag of shit? <laughs> Best in class. <laughs> so, you. when did you join the Labour Party then? Uh, in January, because I thought, to be fair, I was shouting my mouth off that much. <laughs> and Carrie goes... Fucking up to you. I do, do the Carragher accent. I can't do the Carragher accent. <laughs> what are
2: you doing? You can't talk. Can I leave it? join it? Of course you
3: can't. <laughs> so I just thought I've got to put my money where my mouth is. It's the idea of again being silent. It's easy to be silent. It's easy not to put your head above the parapet. And I thought, no, I'm going to join the Labour Party. And I'm going to actually go for it. And that's not to say that I've been happy with everything in the Labour Party in the last two or three years. I've met a number of Labour figures in the last 12 to 18 months and i've said to them i thought that they should have been a lot more forceful with um this government a lot earlier i thought they were poor on brexit i uh, didn't really have a stance um uh, i thought they were poor around the tier system on covid particularly in relation to what we were suffering in manchester um you know andy burnham was basically fighting a sort of i thought that point was a real a, was a real a real point where i thought particularly in manchester we were ready to go how do you mean? I felt, we re- I felt we were ready to go, because they were, they'd were. they opened Liverpool. So basically Andy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. To be fair, the reason I've got a sore throat is that I've not stopped drinking for two weeks since I lost the Champions League. <laughs> 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 it's been a hell of a time, <laughs> but people say what's been the best time of your life, forget the treble, that's, that's out the window. Um, no, I felt as though, to be fair, we're not... <laughs> We have, there'll be some Liverpool fans in there somewhere, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not. Um, yeah, so, I just felt at the time, the tier system was divisive, because they had many divisive policies, this government, They're very divisive. They've opened Cheshire, they've opened Liverpool, and then they closed Manchester, because of what Andy did, along with the other council leaders in the north of England, and it was obviously spiteful. I'm not sure it was the most clever move in the end, to be fair, by Andy, or the council leaders, because the reality of it is, we've, we've suffered since in terms of funding, chosen for different projects that government obviously hand out Um, and that's how it works you've got to be smart haven't you if you're in politics and that's probably why i won't go into politics (laughs) because i won't be able to keep my mouth shut um but i just felt as though at that point we were fuming we were fuming because we felt as though it was um felt as though we were being singled out it was felt vindictive um and we were ready to go and i think sometimes I have felt in the last 12 to 18 months I'm not sure marching on the streets does anything to be honest with you, I'm not sure whether it has impact or not and sometimes it can create more you know, trouble than, than, than it's worth and you can get negative publicity from it but I actually feel like in the last 18 months that need to pull together to, to march against what's currently going on I felt at the time Andy had the north of England where he wanted them and he could have gone the whole way and then obviously we, sort of, we backed out a little bit and we backed down and I, I, I don't like that Go for it. If you're going to go, you go. You go. And to be fair, that comes from sort of probably, again, my football experiences. You just go to the very end. You don't give in. We're going to throw our centre-halves into the box. We might concede one going that way, but we're going to go that way and we're going to risk everything. And I felt as though that's how it was at the time and we should have gone for it, I think, and made a lot more noise than we did. And when you say ready to go and gone for it, do you mean like riot or what? Revolution, no, March on London? Joseph, I've never thrown a punch in my life. I'm not violent. I, would, I mean, I, I can never condone violence and never would. It's just not, not in my nature. But I think the idea of taking to the streets... Um, at the time, you know, all Lancunians were basically going over the border to Cheshire, to Alderley Edge and Hale, and to maybe a few of them to Liverpool as well. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and just basically drinking there, and then coming back over the border and sitting. There. It was it was ridiculous what was going on. <laughs> and then they actually accepted that, didn't they? Six months later, when they said there'll be no further tears because it was it was so divisive. You know, businesses in Manchester were struggling desperately, desperately. You know, almost to the point whereby you know you people really, really hurting. And I felt Andy could have taken a risk. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I'm not in his position that he's in. Could he have opened up Manchester? Could he have said that under these sort of, you know, I, I would like more powers to be handed to the mayors, to the sort of, if you like, the, 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 the regions. Um, that could have been a point where he could have gone for it, I think, and gone for something a little bit more radical. But it would have taken real nerve that. But we'd have gone with him. We would have gone with him. We don't leave our own.
1: Because there is a theory that some people say, well, Andy Burnham's looking to get a Westminster seat so that he can be the next leader of the Labour
3: Party. That leaves a vacancy as the Mayor of Manchester (laughs) that Gary Neville wants. It's interesting, because when Andy went for the Mayor of Manchester, I actually called him an opportunist on uh, Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Have you deleted that tweet yet? Oh, no, I never delete. (laughs) See it through. Uh, (laughs) You've said it, he's seen it, I'm sure. He's got a team around him. no, I'm not. I wouldn't be. No, I, I, I don't think. I don't think I could do more as the mayor of Manchester than I could do it currently as I am in Manchester with the freedom to be able to say what I can, and you know, try and sort of, if you like, particularly I think around Manchester's business community. I'm connected very much so with that. And actually, Manchester, I think, um, I'm passionate about Manchester. I'm passionate about Trafford, Salford, Bury, Bolton. It's where I came from. We have great private, public-private partnerships. Brilliant where actually we get things done in spite of government. Sometimes because of government. They work really well with Blair and Brown, uh, Manchester City Council, but they also work very well with Cameron and Osborne, very well. I think when Osborne, I think it was him, he took credit for it anyway, the Northern Powerhouse slogan. <laughs> um, I think it was him. That was him it, it was him. It almost gave us a little bit of feeling of something. You know, now we've been tossed levelling up, there you go, (laughs) levelling up. (laughs) Which has got a negative connotation in my mind. The idea that basically levelling up, I'm not having it. Northern Powerhouse is strong, it feels like we can come together, connect Leeds, Manchester, Sheffield... Liverpool? uh, Liverpool, sorry. Newcastle. (laughs) Connect to us, we can be really, really powerful. Create some sort of really specialist hubs in the regions, give us some powers, put really good people in charge. Give us some money, not all the money, give us some money and we'll, with the, with the business community in those regions, we'll invest and we'll put back. We're really passionate about that. Um, and I felt I feel as though that's something that I can impact more on this side than I can as mayor. And, but has any part of you
1: thought, actually, what would it be like to be a politician, could I do something? Is that as a result of having gone through that flowchart and thought, actually, I might be an MP or a councillor or a, a mayor,
3: and then you've thought yourself out with it? I have, it, of course, it's, it, I think it's crossed my mind. I think what it would be like, and what would the journey be, and what would the path. I have to see things, me. I have to see things, um, and visualize them, and think. Right, where am I going with this? How is it? Then? And I don't know how it would go. I can't see a path. And I know that sometimes, you know, as a football player, you know. I had a clear path, I knew where I was going, I knew what I was doing, I have businesses in Manchester, I know exactly what I'm doing, I know it's hard work to establish businesses and get them to a certain point, it takes a lot of time, but I I look at the success of, say for instance, the current cabinet, and I think of their connections to the mafia of these streets (coughs) around here, (laughs) and the media, and I think, I'm not sure that I can play that game, I think you've got to play a really, really... Clever game. Some would say clever. I, to me, I don't like it. But yeah, I, I don't think I could play the game that would mean that it wouldn't be a very horrible experience and I wouldn't get sort of, if you like, chewed up and spat out. Because I think that it wouldn't, I don't that's how I feel. I just feel as though it would be almost like you're, you're up against the state. I know it feels a little bit dark, but it feels like that's what we're in at the moment. I feel like it's real, I, I, I've got a lack of trust in what's going on at the moment, I can't believe it, I really can't believe it, because my parents told me, you know what's right and wrong in life, and we all make mistakes, I've got no problem with that, but this government are a real real danger, I think, to standards in this country, and how we see things, and they confuse us, and actually make us think sometimes, well, are they right, and are they telling the truth, but I think we'll look back in 15, 20 years, when someone writes about this, or someone puts it into a movie, and we'll think, what the hell were we doing accepting this at this moment in time? And that'll be across all parties. We'll all be thinking the same thing. How the hell did we accept this? And I don't think we are. I think it's coming to an end. But yeah. I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure it's for me.
1: And also it would it would mean you couldn't do Monday night football anymore. <laughs> But that would be, a, I mean, the reality of being a politician is, you do have to curtail, we'll, for all the talk of second you? jobs. <laughs> you, won't, you wouldn't be able to have, surely not Monday Night Football, I mean, it would be a great second job to see in the oh, register of
3: interest. imagine, imagine, yeah. No, I would have to give up a lot as well. Um, and again, I think that, again, the, the, the worst thing, I'd have to temper what I was saying. And I'm not sure I want to. I'm not sure I want to, I, I want to be direct, I want to make sure that I can retain my sort of honesty around what I'm saying and, and I wake up in the morning and I can see something and I can just go for it. I don't have to ring up an advisor, I don't have to ring up sort of a political team behind me, I don't have to ring up people, I, I, I can just go for it and be myself and I think that's really important um, but I would be very supportive of a fresh approach um, and I don't know how we do that, I would be very supportive of it. So when you've been meeting these Labour figures then, are they
1: talking to you to try and get you to stand, or are they trying to figure out what wing of the party you're on, or what?
3: I, 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 yeah, I couldn't quite work, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Part of me was thinking, the sort of thinking, well, what's he up to, you know, where's he going, what's he doing, I, I don't know, I think, um, I, I think more it's to think of what, how I can help is, is the first, first thing, but I've met a lot over the last 12 to 18 months, very different characters. Um, Yeah, interesting how you see them all sort of come together and how they form a team with each other. You can see where the difficulties and challenges lie, but that's no different than forming a football team either, in terms of how you see these characters. But I I think it would be more about finding what I'm up to, obviously joining the Labour Party, being quite vocal against this this, this conservative government. I think it was more a case of, okay, well, how can we sort of harness this, how can we, Work with this. Is it a positive for us? So I will continue to do it. Um, I think the Labour Party has got a lot better in the last 12 months. I think, to be fair, it'd be difficult not to as well with what they had to go at. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, so I think it's, it's it's I think the whether it's electable yet, we don't know. That's the that's the great challenge. I don't think we can sit here and say yes. Um, but. I think it's been more about fat finding, getting to meet you, getting to know you. Can <laughs> we do anything to help? And of, of all the ones you met, who would you say is the most impressive? I've met old and new. Ooh. so old, yeah, new Labour. <laughs> <laughs> which is which? Um, do you know the guy that I trusted the most, and I thought was the most knowledgeable, and I thought was, I just thought he was a great person, was Gordon Brown. When I met him, I thought, you know, I can see why he struggled. <laughs> 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 I'll meet him again next week, so don't put that in, will you? <laughs> um, out of the new ones, um, I really got on well with Keir. He was really relaxed, a lot more relaxed than I thought it would be. I've been to two events with him, and I really enjoyed it. Very impressed with West Streeting very impressed. Um, yeah, I was very impressed with Wes. You know, I listened to the podcast that you did with him and when he said that he'd been told and diagnosed with cancer and that he kept it from his party and his constituents and he went out, I think, I can't really say he was in Bering <laughs> and he went knocking on the doors to continue to do his job. That's how I was brought up in our dressing room. You don't bring your shit in here. No, seriously, don't bring your own stuff in here. You might have a personal problem at home, you might have the, a difficulty at home, you might have a challenge. We're going out to win together, and I'm not going to let you down. It really reminded me of that in a very different way, that you know, he put, in, he put the team before himself. And that's what I liked about and I thought that when I, went, I met Wes as well, I thought he was like that, he's somebody who would, sort of, if you like, keep that in, not announce it to everybody, keep on with the job, let's make sure we get these votes, let's make sure we win these local elections. The local councils that are standing are relying upon me to do my job tonight, so I'm going to go out there and put that aside, this incredibly difficult news that he'd just been given, and go and do his job, and that's how I think, to be fair, we were in our dressing room, and then afterwards, you go and knock on the door of Sir Alex and tell him what's happened, and he would give the most compassion, he would be the most understanding, And he would give you all the love in the world. And that's, I think, really good, that you want commitment, but you also want that compassion and that sort of love back as well. And I grew up in that environment. I think that's when you've got a great team.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
1: So, the three you've named are all quite moderate figures, Keir Starmer, West Streeting and and Gordon Brown. Would you have joined the Labour Party while Corbyn was still leader?
3: No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. There were things that, to be fair, I struggled struggled with. To be fair, I struggled with Johnson on everything. Um, Everything. Everything. There isn't one part of him that I think I can relate to. One part. But I think with Corbyn, do you know something? I think that he he believed in what he believed in, and in that sense, I felt that he was honest to himself. This guy Johnson will do anything to get anywhere and tell anything to get. You know, he's he's that type. Um, I struggled with um, I struggled with Jeremy's approach. To I never thought for one second that he would ever ever connect with the business community. I think that's, you've got to empower business. You've got to make sure. And so I, I struggled with that, and that's why I wouldn't have joined. It was far too left for me.
1: Because one of the things that you've described really is you are effectively a, not a socialist capitalist, but effectively you believe in business and profit, but you also believe yeah. in social responsibility, and whether it's allowing homeless people to stay at hotel football while it was being constructed. You know, there are, there are so many stories about
3: the, the general you shown. But, but can we change capitalism? I'm a realist as well. I'm not going to change capitalism. No prime minister in this country is going to change capitalism. You're not. It's too too far gone. So my view is we are talking about capitalism is that when you make profit and you hope that businesses make profit, that they distribute that profit fairly to their teams, to their staff, to the people that are working with them, that they employ more people and they spread that wealth. That's that's how I see this country being successful is that we try to get back to that point whereby We don't resent people for making profit, we're actually happy for people to make profit, but we actually then, if you like, make sure we've got conscientious, compassionate leaders within business who understand that the right thing to do is distribute that wealth amongst their teams to inspire them to create jobs and make sure that people are looked after. And are there other um, footballers or ex-footballers
1: who talk like this, who who think like this? Do you have these conversations with (laughs) Carriker?
3: You can't, can you, really?
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I always thought he was...
3: (laughs) Difficult, that. (laughs) I got the impression that he was quite Labour. He is, he is very much, very much Labour. Very much. Um, Yeah, absolutely. He can't not be, can he, from where he comes from, also. I mean, you think about the way in which, sort of, you know, the city of Liverpool and Murderside view the Conservative Party... (sighs) (laughs) But something, they're not wrong are they at times, when you look at what they think. <laughs> you know, I mean they're wrong about a lot, but <laughs> No, but you know, I don't have this type of conversation. He's furious as well. He's furious as well. And he, he doesn't speak about it as much, not publicly either. Um but he is yeah, he's not happy, he retweets a lot, he posts out a lot. I think he went for um he went for Johnson last week, the name in terms of I think it was over there. What was it over?
1: Well, you know what I just remembered was the great clip of you two on... I, I can't remember if it was Super Sunday or Monday Night Football. Where you're talking about a party and a work event? Yeah, it was Friday night football. Friday night football. That's <laughs> we got a
3: light bollocking looking for that. You know. So for people who haven't seen, we it have we have we have about a thousand complaints from Ofcom every fucking week. The, the, the amount of people who complain about me and Carrigan it's unbelievable. Honestly, it's it's fantastic. Well, just politics or just? In if general? we mention politics, we we uh, we get a call usually from the hierarchical guy. Um, Rude. always. How are you? <laughs> Never get a call to say well done, great show yesterday. <laughs> but to be fair, they do get compl- that many complaints um, that obviously off <laughs> the come then, you know, maybe get involved and then we'll be told, you know, make sure you're balanced. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you ever genuinely try or? How do you? We we don't push it because we accept it's a football audience that are sort of if you like tuning in, but. I think there comes a point whereby... I mean, I, I played with the, in Soccer Aid yesterday. Some of you might have seen me wobbling around the pitch last <laughs> night. And Lee Mack was, came on and scored the winning penalty. And you think of his, um, his joke at the Jubilee event, I don't know if you heard it, where he said the party and he had the gate behind him. <laughs> but we should. We should, in our everyday lives, not be ignoring what's currently going on. And we should be able to relate to it, particularly if there is a big event. I mean, if there'd been a no-confidence vote on the night of Monday Night Football, I don't think we'd have come out alive in character. <laughs> I, think. I think I don't think they let us on. I think they cancelled the game. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other
1: things, and you alluded it to, a, to it earlier, is when you get abuse on social media, it's people with Union Jacks in there, yeah.
3: bio a lot of the time. But, and just you know something, it's like the Union Jack has become a, almost like a weapon. And I absolutely love this country, and I love the Union, I love the idea of Scotland and, and Wales and Northern. I, I love it. <laughs> Um but it's now become something but that's the that's the language. We've we've gone through a real period of sort of divisiveness over this last two or three years and we need repair and we need renewal. We do. We need to repair our relationship with Europe. We need a government now. They've got Brexit and that's fine, it's happened, it's done. But we now need a government who can rebuild relationships with Europe and rebuild relationships internationally so and th- th- it can't be this government because of the way in which they sort of view this particular topic and then we need to renew the trust in politics we ch- renew the trust in our cabinet um, and I, f- I feel yeah I, I don't even know what you asked me well great <laughs> uh, answer. Though, uh, I was halfway through the question but <laughs>
1: what I was going to ask is for someone who's played for England so many times yeah sorry the Union Jack so basically going back to it I, I <laughs> so what's the thing
3: Go <laughs> back to Prenton and Tommy again, aren't we? <laughs> Follow him by the way, have a look, Prenton and Tommy in his bio, just put it in your Twitter feed, it's absolutely brilliant. I know you've said switch your phones on, but put them back on and have a look <laughs> afterwards. But the point I was going
1: to ask was, as someone who's played for England so often, who's clearly patriotic about his country and as you said, not just England but the union and all those mm. countries together. Football, actually, in the last few years, and specifically Southgates England and, and Marcus mm. Rashford, have been crucial in communicating a form of progressive Englishness yeah. that perhaps have been missing, not just from England, but perhaps few past England teams in the way that they related to the public. Yeah. I mean, do you think the sorts of things like taking the knee, for instance, if this was
3: happening at the time of the Golden Generation, would you have all taken the knee? Um, I'm not sure, you know, and I, I also I think we would, I think we would, but... You know, I I made quite a few mistakes during my football career. When I look back now, not singing the national anthem was a big mistake, and it was was awkwardness, stubbornness. Um, I didn't sing it in the very first time I played for England. I think partly through a little bit of embarrassment, partly because I thought, you know, I'm a football player and I'm really serious about my work and I'm not singing before a game. But then this FA councillor called Jeff Thompson, who I think he was the chair of the FA at the time, came and approached me in the, uh, in the players' lounge after the game and said, "Can you have a word, son? Which is never a great start <laughs> to someone you've never met. <laughs> um, and said, you know, you play for England, you must sing the national anthem, and that was it. I said, I'm not being told by some suits what to do. And I didn't like the FA that much anyway at that time, to be honest with you. I thought there were everything that was wrong with football, you know, the idea of this sort of... Huge large body of people that is not representative of football in this country that hasn't modernized at all in the last sort of 30 40 50 years i know they're trying now um so i think that the golden generation would have done but when i think back to instances where ashley cole was um, racially abused in the bernabao stadium against spain in 2004 i think it was because i'm left back so i'm right back he's left back and i'm number two he's number three I come in and sit next to him at the end of the game and I know this has happened and at that point 18 years ago I don't even mention it to him, we just get on with it and I've spoken to him about it since, that's not good enough. So I don't think, when I say about leaders and you know, I, I'd like to think that when I was a football player I was a leader of, of sort, but when I think of the lads now, they are real leaders in many different ways, the, w- the way in which they're willing to step outside of their comfort zone of football and talk about things that are political. Or societal issues a lot more than we were, tells me that they have got, if you like, real sort of characteristics and personality traits that are stronger than we had. Just because we might have had blood on our shirts and wrapped sort of like tape round our heads and all that sort of <laughs> stuff, or oh, they're really tough guys in the nineteen eighties and nineties. These lads, I think, are tougher now because of the social media sort of criticism that they receive. But the way in which they're willing to step out of that um, football, which we never did, we all stayed in our lane. And we shouldn't have done, really. We should have been more... We should have had a bigger impact on society than we did as football players with the reach that we had. But we didn't recognise it at the time, and we didn't do it. And so that's a mistake, and I look back upon that now and think, what, Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, um, all the other lads have done this last few years. Uh, it takes great courage, and the, the, you know I, I, I do see them as... It's one of the reasons I set up a university, because I do genuinely believe that there are great leadership qualities in our young people, and I believe that they are different to what we were 25 years ago, um, but that we we almost sit here and say that you know they're always on the phones, they're always on social media. Get off this. No, that's not how. It, that's how it is now. Let's get them good at it. Let's accept what they are. Let's you know accept that they want different things. We we were told what to do when we were growing up. Really, we were instructed. You can't instruct your children nowadays. They want a far more collaborative and sort of more. Modern way of the more modern ways of learning, more collaborative relationships, and that's a football team. The football players like you can't tell them what to do anymore. If you say to a football player, "You know, do this, do that," you're not going to. They're just going to say, "No." Nah. <laughs> Whereas we would, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson or one of the managers of England twenty-five years ago said, "Do this, do that." We jump, and that's wrong. You know, I say it's wrong. It was it, of its time. So yeah, I think that these lads now have done a great amount of, are given a great amount of good, and we probably weren't in that position mentally twenty-five years ago to think we should do that. It feels more like emotionally you're more in tune with this
1: sort of modern England era and, the, and what England says about itself to the wider world than the time in which you played because the so-called golden generation or the WAG stuff, it felt like the relationship between the English national team and in, for so many people how the England football team do or how they're perceived in the way they are it's probably the biggest impression of Englishness that we yeah. give to ourselves and that we give to the rest of the world when they take the knee and Southgate's in charge from go, England's really progressive. When Allardyce was in charge, which was literally the day before Gareth Southgate was, you'd have said, well, it feels like football's still in a particular place, even with the same squad that you would have picked. Was it difficult to have the sort of values you have, the morals you have as a, as a set of players and actually to be seen as, at times, quite a sort of garish... Um, disconnected group of people um, that were seen as sort of flash and, and yeah.
3: amoral. I think to be fair, if you're, we, we, if you're like we were in that period, that golden generation period, you have to win. Yeah. And I look back, and there were many mistakes that were made, you know, around how we behaved. Behaved, yeah, maybe. It, I think if England football fans, which they do, travel abroad to watch England play and they spend a lot of money. They don't really want to see that you're sort of, if you like, wandering around the village with your family, with your wife, with your girlfriend, that you know, it looks like there is a party every single night, it looks like things aren't professional. (coughs) And that was a perception that was created, even though the reality was very different. Um, But it it was wrong. And Gareth now, to be fair, has completely changed that. Um, And I do accept now, looking back, that it was wrong in terms of how we sort of portrayed ourselves. It, it, It didn't fit with what we were. And if you are like that, you've got to win.
2: Yeah.
3: You better win if you're going to be like that. Um, and at United, if you think about it, we had David Beckham, we had Eric Cantona, we had people who had great personalities and characters, but we won. We won within that framework. So actually, I think people would never see it as being an environment of what would be unprofessionalism or lacking discipline. And why did, why did that amazing generation effectively underachieve for England? Some every lad that you you know all the lads have done interviews on this since, and a lot of them I've heard them all. Um, some will say that the tactics weren't right. Some will say the managerial choices weren't right. Some will say it was luck. Some will say it was a fine line with penalties. But then when I look back, I always think to myself, what did we do wrong? What did we, the players? What did we, what could we have done better? And when I look at the spirit now that exists between the group of players—our sort of Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea players are all mates with each other. They're all sort of accepting of each other, tolerant of each other. And when I look back then and think the division between us, you know, me and Carragher, for instance, (laughs) or the Liverpool United lads, now there were clicks. Um, And I know some lads say, well, no, but when we we we're on the pitch, we we came together. But sometimes it's about more than that. Mm. You know, we we had something more at Manchester United. We had something more than just, if you like, you know, working hard and being... We had that sort of... I can't explain it a camaraderie, a spirit, a togetherness that meant in the most difficult moments we were unbreakable and we would go to the very end. And I think that ultimately when we were with England, we were together and we all individually worked hard, but collectively we were never like that as a unit, I don't think. When I think of the teams I was part of at United, and then when I go to Valencia and I think of my experiences as a manager, and I think of the divisions in that dressing room that I was unable to, to be able to deal with, and you see a divided dresser I then think back to the fact that, that with england the same players sat on the same table at the same meal times i've just been with soccer Aid this weekend and it's an unbelievable spirit people mixing with each other at different tables no one just always sat next to the same person and that was that's why it was a great spirit whereas it, it, with England you know I would go down Scolese would be there Phil would be there Teddy would be there Andy Cole would be there Nicky Butt would be there David Beckham would be there and we'd be all sat on the same table and we'd leave two, two, two seats free but you can imagine now I'm just thinking how intimidating that must have been this winning machine with England six, seven players all sat around the same table and two spaces who's going to come and sit there how welcoming is that to everybody it's not mm. and the responsibility I want to see that now through the way in which I, when we have businesses and we're you know, we have team days out and we have team nights out and we make sure that in the office there is no set positions. I don't have a, a, a I, I sit in the same office as everybody else and we sit in different chairs each day, different desks each day. It's more like a lounge and we're equal. And that crea- that environment's created already just by people feeling comfortable to be able to come in and we didn't have that.
1: And, and just thinking emotionally about national identity and Englishness and the flag and all that sort of thing and Three Limes, all the stuff I'm you know, totally soppy about. Do, does it strike you as odd as a patriot that some people in England would say, oh, I don't like the St George's cross, yeah, I, I think it's racist?
3: The problem is it's being used in that way, it, it is being used in that way at times in this country. So you think of sort of Tommy Robinson carefully don't I? <laughs> No, you think of sort of how it's been used and abused by political parties to the far right and then what it's become now when you use it if you like in sort of if you like normal circumstances it can be viewed as being if you like far right it can be viewed as being something that's not um, not correct um, I'd be very careful I mean I used to, I used the St George's cross flag yesterday three or four times on my social media. 'Cause I was playing for England in soccer aid and I was mm-hmm. proud to use it. I probably wouldn't use it that much. I wouldn't use it that much during the week. <laughs> you understand know what I mean? <laughs> I I wouldn't. I don't know why, but I wouldn't yeah. do it. I'm not sure whether that's something that to be fair is English. We've always been a little bit like that. And if you think about St Patrick's Day or you think of sort of what, how Scotland and Wales you know view it's very much that they use their flag all the time. But ours, I think, has become a little confused in the sense of I think it's been used and I say abused by political parties, which has meant we're all a little bit nervous about use, the use of it and where we use it and how we use it. And that is wrong. That That's why we have to get back to being one team. We have to get back to being a one-team society because the, you know, the, 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 the guy who runs this country is the CEO of this country, is the CEO of this business, if you like. He's got a multi-billion pound budget, he's got to inspire, he's got to make... Young people believe that there's an opportunity and that there's a chance he's got to make people who, who earn a lot of money that they can keep some of that money, but we're going to take a bit off you. He's got to make sure he looks after people who, to be fair, you know, who are, you know, needing support and who are, you know, need uh, support from benefits or need that sort of, if you like, chance in life. And I, I feel like we, we, we haven't got that at this moment in time. And that's why we've all become a little bit confused because we've lacked leadership for so long now. We don't know what leadership looks like anymore at the top of our country. When was the last time that we had someone, and it, it, it absolutely comes from the top. And that's why all these questions that you're asking is coming from this sort of, if you like, last period that, that has existed through Brexit, through the COVID period, through what's happening now, um, it, we, we need to get back to normal. Normal, have good conversations, Not a good debate, you have differences of opinion. We, we need to get off this roundabout that we're spinning on because it's a, it's a crazy place really um, and it, it comes from a lack of leadership and I've been in football teams I've been in dressing rooms where there's been poor leadership and the dressing room's a mess look at Manchester United this season there'll be United <coughs> fans in here right they've struggled badly because there's been lack of leadership from the very top lack of leadership obviously managerial level and there's been a lack of leadership in the dressing room and then you've got a mess and that's currently what we have currently in government <laughs> it's an absolute mess and so what happens beneath that is that we all become a little more unsure of what we like, of what they think, and how we all become, we, we all, we, there's, l- there's less trust. There's less trust, and we're actually all, we're all very good people, you know, 65 million people in this, in this country. 99.999% of them are really good people, yet we now started to lack trust in each other and sort of not be able to have good, good debate with one another and not take other's, uh, people's opinions and still have a, you know, a drink after it. I think that comes from what's happening at the very t- We need to change to the very top. So if Boris Johnson was like any
1: who, Manchester United manager in recent years, <laughs> who is
3: yeah. the closest? Oh no, th- th- there's none of them that are as big an arsehole as <laughs> <laughs> None of them anywhere near it. Um, I, never, I don't know. I mean... You've encountered anyone in football that you'd I've say... You know, I've never met a guy like him in my life. <laughs> I've never met any... I've met some arseholes, don't I? I work with one regularly on Sky. <laughs> 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 no, but, you know, I've, I've met people that maybe weren't my cup of tea or that weren't my, you know, didn't like and they might not even like me type thing, but I, I've never met anybody like him. I've never seen anybody like him perform. Erm... Um, it's really bizarre. I, am I overplaying this? Because to be fair, some people really support him and think that he's doing a good job and think that you know he's, he's gone through a difficult time. So the alternative argument is that no Prime Minister has had to go through as difficult a time as he had with Brexit and with COVID and all the other things that have gone on. It has been difficult. So basically, he's had a lot to contend with and then obviously the war and other things that have happened in the last few months. He seems to have gone from crisis to crisis. I suppose that's exposed him more than maybe it would have done if it had been a period of sort of normality. So I might sometimes think to myself, well, am I being too harsh? But that's the sort of what he makes you feel. That's when you listen to that alternative argument, you think, yeah, well, maybe they've got a point. But then I think to myself, no, <laughs> <laughs> he's a lying crook. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even know the half of it. <laughs> And you know We don't even know the half of it because the deals that that man's done in the streets around London and Whitehall <laughs> and Westminster will be unbelievable, honestly. And, I mean, I thought Cummings would have been, we were talking about it before, weren't we? I thought that that guy would have been smart enough to walk out at least with a little bit of evidence. And he comes, and I can't work out whether he's really clever or really stupid when I read his tweets. It's like, I put these sentences together, it's like unbelievable, I'm like, what? I can't get that. Can you can translate it for me. <laughs> But I would have thought that somebody in there has got him. Has got him big time. And at some point they'll take him. But at the moment he seems to be protected because all of his key team have walked out. In football, if all of your key team have walked out, it doesn't take long before you fall. Because the reality of it is the, sort of, the noises will start to spread and you will start to be undermined. And I think that's what's happening now. I mean, 148 of his own MPs voting against him last week. Was a point whereby you're thinking this is coming to an end, and then obviously there's the um, there's the sort of assessment from the privileges committee coming up in the next month or two. How many times can he survive? I, do you know something? I would really love you to get I, I, who I would really love in a room for an hour at this moment in time would be Sue Gray. <laughs> <laughs> you got a number? <laughs> I've not got a number. I mean, you'd love to have her on here, wouldn't you? Oh, thank you. Be amazing. I mean, it's th- honestly I, I would. I'd be back, I'd be, <laughs> <laughs> I'd do the lighting, the sound, anything, because imagine the conversations that that lot have had with Sue Gray in the last few months, imagine the pressure, imagine the soft power application, you know, the application of soft power to her and all the things that will have been, and I think, yeah, not right
1: is it, it's not right. Some people, I mean you express yourself in, in pretty plain terms, Um Angela Rayner, uh, infamously called, um,
3: uh, referring to some Tories as scum. When you read that... I wouldn't do that. No. I wouldn't do that. Why not? Because I know a lot of people who vote Conservative that live in Hale and law <laughs> 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 And I've got friends in Westminster <laughs> and Whitehall. Uh, no, I wouldn't do that because I, I genuinely believe that the majority of people who vote Conservative do so. My mum. My mum's mum and dad. Voted conservative all their lives, they weren't scum. They had a different belief. They didn't feel, they didn't trust Labour with the economy because of a personal experience. And I think that people who vote conservative generally just have a very different opinion of basically how life should be to maybe Labour. And um, I have to say, if you said to me, let's say someone's very centre conservative, very left Labour, I'd probably be nearer to that, to be honest with you, than I am to the far left. I'd, I'd, I don't believe it. so. so I, I, the idea of calling them scum, I don't think is helpful. Although I like Angela a lot, but I don't think it's helpful. I don't believe it's language that should be should be used. Um, but obviously, each to their own. And I appreciate her honesty uh, because she is honest. She's direct. She comes from a part of the country that's respected enormously, and to be fair, you know we do respect her enormously around. But that that is probably the type of language that. Creates division more than unites. And does your mum ever say to you, "What are you doing joining the Labour Party, Gary?" My wife does. She's up there.
1: (laughs) What does she say?
3: What are you doing, Gary? (laughs) What about politics in general, or being left? Yeah, what you up to? What you doing, Gary? You know, it's like the conversation with West Street and Angela Rayner, Gordon Brown. What you up to, Gary? It's like, mm, mm, yeah. I just (laughs) (laughs) usually when wives are
1: asking their husbands.
3: What are you up to, Gary? Their mind might be going elsewhere. But <laughs> yeah, but it's not my... To be fair, my, my social media... I mean, I literally do it myself, obviously, as you can imagine, because there's that many grammatical errors. That you could, nobody else can imagine that. Um, so, I, I yeah, I'm, I, I just think it's, it's evolved and just developed. And um, I don't know where it's going. I don't even know it's going anywhere. It may even, to be fair, completely just you know, pitter away, go away, because of... If if there was a change of of leader in the Conservative Party and we're back to normal, I would probably... But I think this is really... I do think this is really bad. I feel passionate about it. It's really bad for us as a country. Um, And yet we're being told it's brilliant by a lot of our newspapers or... You know, it's incredible. I'm not a... I'm on social media, but the amount of accounts that come for me with the same message since I've gone into politics and started criticising the government. And I think, well, so much going on here. It's not right. And what is the message? It's normally, to be fair, the opposite to what I've said. But it's from nameless individuals, and it sort of feels like it's a... Yeah, it just doesn't feel right. I I do genuinely believe that there is... um, that elections are being interfered. We know there are elections being interfered with through social engineering. And I genuinely believe that the Conservative Party is a well-funded machine that has control of the media. And I don't just say media as in media, the newspapers. I believe they have control of, the, um, of social media as well through the funding that they can put into it. The analysis, the data, you know, I, do, I, 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 so gen- Cambridge yeah, I genuinely believe that that is happening. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a fantasist, or, you know, I, just, I can just feel it, I can feel it on my Twitter feed in terms of how it, how it, yeah, I, read my, I, read, I read my replies, and you can see when it's someone genuinely who's got a different opinion to me, then all of a sudden you can see a lot of replies that come through, and you're just thinking, that isn't right. But that could just be, people can set up, this is part of the problem with Twitter, is people can set up multiple accounts. And who that is that w- person? <laughs> <laughs> well, <there laughs> who, are, who are these people that set up multiple Twitter accounts that basically, yeah. I don't, Twitter trolls, aren't they? You know, people like Prince and Tommy. No, I'm talking about, to be fair, well-placed messages. So what sort of no, not, not not just if you like you know smart stuff that comes back that's okay. I, I, I do believe it's happening does anybody else believe it's happening or not believe it's happening I do I believe in sort of manipulation of people's minds through sort of through, through data through sort of like the Cambridge Analytica type yeah. stuff I believe it's happening I, I do believe it influences people I enormously know I, I do believe no I believe yeah. it influences people I do, I th- I do. I, well the Cambridge Analytica stuff definitely happened yeah
1: how much of an effect it has, I'm, I've never been sure. But I
3: think of it as being almost like if you're on Instagram and you get the adverts through and all of a sudden you mention white trainers and then <laughs> 15 adverts cut for white trainers and how clever technology is. And then I think of basically the idea that it can sort of push your mind towards certain types of things. Then you, you bite, don't you? Yeah. I'll go on that one. <laughs> i white trainers. I do believe it's happening this. And I... I I think that they're a very well-funded machine at this
1: moment in time. But it's one thing to buy white trainers and another to vote one way in a referendum or not, or elect a Prime Minister or vote for a party.
3: It is. It is. And to be fair, there would be some people who would never be influenced by what they see on social media or what they see in the newspapers. But there'll be those people who are in in between who could be influenced one way or the other that will determine the election. In, to be fair, areas where I grew up, like Berry North, Berry South, that are you know, so tight when it comes to sort of, you know, we know those are big seats and you know, it's talking like hundreds of people you need to try and influence, so I do believe it's happening. And just on trainers, why does everyone at Sky Sports wear those trainers? (laughs) (laughs) You need a pair of white trainers to stand out. To be fair, I'm probably the only one that's not got advice from from a stylist, I just watch what the others wear and then just try and copy them, do you know what I mean? That's why I get these Instagram sort of adverts for trainers and they sort of like come through to me we go, yeah, yeah, I don't know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, you're a good point really. But I always wear I always wear black, I always wear sort of, you know, I, I always wear black jeans, black t-shirt. Johnny Cash? <laughs> <laughs> or or <it's> Slimming? <laughs> yeah, more that really, yeah.
1: So, uh, what's it like then, when you're on Skype, because you're known as basically the political football guy, D- does Roy Keane ever say to you, Gary, what's going on with this Brexit, like, <laughs> <laughs> Brexit! Try up with Alex Ferguson and see how far you get. No, no, there's nothing...
3: <laughs> Roy doesn't ask me about politics at all, no. no does he, he ask
1: you about anything?
3: I tried to, when I did the interview with him for my YouTube channel, I actually tried to go in there, go there with him and he, w- he wouldn't entertain it. He said, no, it's not for me. He's not interested. Genuinely not interested at all. He, he said to me he wasn't interested. Do you think he votes? I didn't ask him.
1: I wouldn't know. Because I imagine he would vote, but I would have no idea. Yeah,
3: I think he, if he did vote, obviously it would be. Yeah, he he wouldn't tell anybody if he did vote and what he voted. And what's he like as a person? Because he looks. I, I remember meeting him as a kid. I was a mascot
1: for a forest game in, in uh, 1993. And um, <laughs> and uh, my idol was Stuart Pearce, and and he was injured, so I couldn't meet him. And a mate of mine said, "Oh, can you get me some photo of Roy Keane?" So. He, he said, I think he said, what's your name, uh, he, but his accent then was so strong, and yeah, so I was only like nine, I yeah. couldn't understand, I was nine years old, I wasn't part of the Metropolitan London set that I am now, <laughs> I was an oik from Nottingham with bad ears, and he, he was going, kind of, I said, like, oh, <laughs> what's your name, I said, Matthew, and so he starts right, Matthew, I said, oh no, it's my mate Daniel, and he went, oh, for
2: fuck,
1: <laughs> scrubbed it out. My well, primary school friend Daniel had a sign phone Roy Keaton said two maps scrawled out Daniel Roy <coughs> I mean, as a kid
3: I was petrified of him, but is there a softer side to Roy? Yeah, I think people have seen that in the last couple of years, his relationship with Micah Richards on television, yeah. I think that if you watch, I'm not pushing people towards my YouTube channel, but if you do see the dog walk <laughs> that I did with him, you'll see a completely yeah. different side to him. He's charming, but compelling. He is the most inspirational, Football captain person that I ever met. Um, not always people. You know people say about you know. Obviously his temper and same with Sir Alex. To be fair, that was point not not one percent of the time. The rest of it was, you know, information to help you. It was um, pushing you on, stretching you. Um, funny, humorous, great storyteller. Both of them, great storytellers and Roy is charming and got great stories to tell and he's great company I've spent more time with him probably since I finished playing football particularly the last few years with Sky but also with ITV but he also comes and watched Salford our team in League 2 he comes and sits with us and watches the games and it's absolutely brilliant to have him there because he is compelling I'm sure if you watch him on television you, you 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 you're almost, in some ways, in suspense of what could come out of it. particularly if it's a big moment <laughs> in the beginning. He grabs the big moment in a big match in a studio, better than anybody that I've seen. It's absolutely compelling when you're watching him when he's gone. What about some of the other players you played
1: with? Would any of the players, thinking of really specifically United England, w- would any of those players, the big names, have made good politicians? Hmm.
3: <laughs> Shearer? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, no. I don't think so, I don't think Alan Shearer, I'm trying to think of David Platt maybe. Okay. Yeah, David Platt maybe, um, I'm trying to think. I am trying Di- B- Di- B- I, I, I was with Dimitar Berbatov over the weekend, he was yeah. telling me how he's running for, he's currently having issues in Bulgaria with the FA and he's, he's running as president of the fo- Bulgarian football of association, which is you know, it's not a political position, but you do need in that sort of, particularly if you're running FAs in countries, you need to be sort of well-connected and make sure you look after the sort of different clubs within the different cities and different towns around the country. And that was something that surprised me when he was talking to me about that over the weekend. But I'm trying to think of an English player that would... Stuart Pearce? I don't think so. <laughs> well, is he a nice man? Yeah, he is. He was good. He was, he was good with me because I was obviously a full-back, he was a full-back, I was 20, he was coming to the end of his England career. Um, I played in the 96 with him, um, he was great advice. Do you, know what you want? I always think that I was so lucky, so lucky, I'm here today because of, because of obviously many different things, but the main thing that I say is that the standards that were set that I could look up to from my parents, <laughs> From the senior players in the dressing room, from my coaches, from my teachers, were the highest standard. So people like Stuart Pearce and Tony Adams with England, in terms of the leadership qualities, um, with United, Brian Robson, Steve Bruce, Roy Keane, Peter Schmeichel, Sir Alex Ferguson, they were incre- they were really great examples. And that's why I think, you know, looking at sort of young people, they're so influenced by, you know, their seniors and and the people who are their mentors. Because the contrast in Euro
1: '96 of how you reacted to the national anthem, and how Stuart pearce oh. I mean—he would belt it out of the top of his lungs to a point at which you worried if it was problematic.
3: <laughs> Do you, know you would this? stood there like a you know bow silence. They were screaming. Him and him and Adam would be screaming in the dressing room before the game. And to be fair, in the United dressing room, people maybe would never realise this, but we, we were—it was so calm and so composed and relaxed. We'd have. We wouldn't have music on because Roy didn't allow music in the dressing room. <laughs> but what, what, you know something, we used to have the television on, we'd have like Soccer Saturday or whatever it was at that time on up till 2.30 when we went out for the warm-up. There'd be lads, to be fair, having a joke, there'd be some kicking the ball against the wall. With England it was so different, you know, Tony Adams and Stuart Pearce were screaming like 15, 20 minutes before we go out for a warm-up, Tony Adams would literally put a ball between the wall and himself and he tackled the ball against the wall. <laughs> And, it was quite, I
2: mean,
3: <laughs> and I, to be fair, remember this. How many of those tackles did you win?
2: <laughs>
3: and Stuart Pearce would be like, grabbing your shirt and, you know, looking in your face and everything. This actually isn't helping. <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous already. Um, but they were so passionate about England, about their country. Do you know something? There were some players, and it, when I wasn't one of them. I loved playing for England and I loved my time with England. But there were some players who actually loved playing for England more than their club. Mm. I'd put Stuart Pearce in that category. Stuart Pearce, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I forgot who you were then. <laughs> yeah, but he actually put Stuart Pearce in that category. I'd call him an England player. I think he might. he was absolutely, he was committed like you wouldn't. We all were, but he, he almost meant so much more to him. It was it was it was incredible to see. I, I, don't, I don't want to sort
1: of over football it, but just if I could just ask one purely football question. How do you think Forest will do in
3: the Premier League? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm glad they're back. Um, You know, and I think of these clubs that sort of have, you like, disappeared for many, many years, even Leeds obviously got a great rival with Manchester United, so I wasn't that bothered about them. (laughs) But it's good to see these, what would be... Nottingham, you think of Nottingham, you think of Sheffield, you think of Leeds, you think of the North East, we need Premier League football in these cities. We don't realise how important it is how you know, important Premier League football is in Manchester United and Manchester City now to, to Manchester in terms of just generally the feeling within the city and the spirit now it is in Liverpool and then in London, obviously, there are many clubs. Um, but for many years, the sort of Yorkshire, Nottingham, the North East lost Newcastle, Sunderland, and Middlesbrough out. Nottingham didn't have any clubs in the Premier League. And, and Leeds, I think Yorkshire, I don't think had any clubs in the Premier League for a couple of years. And you're thinking. What's happening in the country is actually happening in the Premier League. So to see Nottingham Forest come back in, Leeds come back in, obviously Sunderland have got promoted the Championship this year. Newcastle have got a renewed faith through the money that they've had invested. <laughs> 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 um, so actually, it's a really, it's a really good thing. I always like. I think. Look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this. I'm, I've, I've not seen them. Yeah. I've not seen. They could do a Brentford. Yeah who have been absolutely amazing, love being at Brentford. Could do better than that. It'll be tough. <laughs> no, honestly, it's really tough. We've, we've developed Well, if you watch the Premier League, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's such a high level. I think this year's been one of the highest levels, if not the highest level that I've ever seen. Okay. And the, the problem is the money at the top is so big. Mm. Uh, and it depends how... Um, he's the Greek, the Greek owner, isn't yep, it? Yeah, uh, Mr. Maranakis. Yeah, it depends how much money he, he puts in.
1: Well, he's already put a few quid in, but obviously, Premier League money compared to Championship
3: money—it's—it's—it's it's, it's huge. And it it, 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 it the problem is, if you go for it and you go down, you're in trouble. Yeah. Because you give them, you have given contracts to players that basically won't have. Uh, what what you what you're trying to do when you go up from the Premier League uh, from the Championship? Sorry, is to obviously have a go, mm. but. The best players ordinarily won't allow the reduction in their contracts for going back down. They just won't want it. So if you're going, for instance, for a player, um, Nottingham Forest versus, say, Brentford, and what you really should have in is really a sort of a reduction in your sort of salary if you get relegated to sort of mirror the fact that you're going to lose income. But the very good players won't accept that. So you've got to make that decisions to whether you're going to be a club that's going to go for it and give three four year contracts to players that means you are paying them for that three or four years because the football's contract is the strongest contract in the country it's unbelievable how strong it is you can't get out of it Um, and why would you want to get out of it Um, so the problem with that is then that you've got to stomach those wages and it can become really painful if you go down particularly when parachutes run out so there's that decision that Nottingham Forest have to make and I actually haven't got close enough to it to be fair since Liverpool lost the Champions League, I've been just like celebrating <laughs> that. So, it, ha, do you, can you tell me how are they going to approach it? Is it going to be a case of go for it and see what goes on? Are they going to be sensible and do what some of the other clubs do, which is sign sensible sort of type players with, obviously, reductions in their contracts?
1: Well, I, I think we've already got a very talented... I mean, we beat two Premier League clubs already this season in the FA Cup. We've knocked Arsenal and, and the holders Leicester out. Liverpool only beat us 1-0, mm. and they struggled to play against us. I think Brennan Johnson is a Premier League yeah. standard player. Jed Spence, apparently he's gone to Spurs, but we, that might not be on. If we can sign him, he's Premier League standard. Joe Warren and Ryan Yates are Premier League standard. So I think, to Chris Files, what we're both saying is, <laughs> you're at this season, and then perhaps the Premier League title the season after. <laughs> 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 and that's what the country wants. it would be, be great to see. Well, uh, oh, I. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're going to open it up to questions now. So we can ask one sentence questions, one sentence answers. We'll get round as many as we can. Yes, at the front. Love Manchester, live over 10 years. Questions for you? Questions for me? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Is this a backdoor pilot? Is this a backdoor pilot? Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> it's what? It's what? It's what? And, uh, you know, not politics. Having different. Oh, I see what you
3: mean. Oh. I have no idea <laughs> what you doing? Oh, I'll tell you what, he thinks you've got a snidey deal line. <laughs> well, I think it's good to broaden the field of guests. I did ask before, yeah. why don't you film this? Even just out of curiosity.
1: <laughs> well, I
3: wouldn't secretly film it for an no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but why wouldn't you? I mean, I know that obviously you record it for the yeah. podcast, but why wouldn't you film it just as a matter of course, as... Well, I
1: think, we, you know, we're always in discussions with broadcasters and commissioners uh, about... Uh, you're the right, t- you're so on. But no, but this is... Booking you isn't an attempt to no, do no, that. No, 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 um, But I always just think anyway, if we're putting lots of shows on, it's good to reach to the outer reach of what could be conceived as politics yeah. and think of footballers, actors, activists, not just people who've held office. So on the whole, it will still remain. Don't worry that um, I'm going to stop booking politicians and I sell seashells, seashells on the seashore. <laughs>
2: Fucking hell! Heck all
1: the questions! What's going on here? <laughs> yes, the lady there. You talk about having a fresh start, having a renewal, you sound very passionate about that. Do you think that's going to come from the Labour Party or somewhere
3: else? I do think it's time for a Labour government. I do generally believe that. I think that um, we do need a fresh start. I think that um, at the moment, at this moment in time, a fresh start for me would be for the Conservatives to change their leader. That would be enough for me because that's all that can be achieved at this moment in time. uh, Because I think this guy is horrific. Um, and I think that, to be fair, what would then happen is that is obviously it would be a complete change of the cabinet, who I think are equally as horrific. Um, so I think that would be enough for the, t- for the short term. But actually what we need to get onto is basically we need to start dealing with the issues, the massive issues that we've got in this country in health and education and the other areas. We need to start talking seriously about these issues again. We need to rewrite the curriculum. We have a, we've got a curriculum in this country which isn't fit for children in 2022. And that's going to take a lot of change. We need to upskill over 40s year because all the jobs that are available at this moment in time, we're not trained for these jobs, particularly in technology and the digital sectors. Um, health and wellbeing should be at the centre of everything that we do, particularly coming out of a pandemic, but it's at the centre of everything that we do in our lives. We're more aware of nutrition, the, mm-hmm. the impact of physical health on mental, mental health, and that should be taught in schools, it should run right through everything that we do. I believe that big businesses, businesses should have to take care of the mental health of their employees i genuinely believe that and it's something that i'm working on in manchester at this moment in time we need a, a solution for mental health in this country and that's not just going to come from government or from the public sector it's going to come from big business who can afford they're putting gyms in place now which is helpful because it gets people training, but they can also put councils in place, support in place. I know they're starting to happen, but it needs to be an obligation. And then for small businesses who can't afford to carry the cost of, say, for instance, mental health support, why can't you club together with nine or ten other businesses and have one that can sort of, if you like, group two? So I've got all these ideas that I think need to happen to deal with the issues that we've got in this country. And all we're talking about all the time is that lying charlatan. (laughs) And so for me, there's so much to do. That we've got to do, you know, we 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 have to get on with these things, and all we're doing is bouncing from one, if you like, tragedy to, to another, with him, uh, one crisis to another, um, and he's not doing anything. When a, when a manager is fighting for his life in football, he's not really coaching the team for the long term. All he's doing is trying to win the next match and survive another game, and that's what this guy's doing. We need someone who can plan for the long term. A wins a win. <laughs> have you got any questions on the balcony? Yes. Uh, what five politicians current
1: and past would you have in a five-sided? Oh,
3: great question. What five politicians current and past would you have in a five-sided? To be fair, I just thought of the one position that I can think of that Boris Johnson would suit. He'd be a good goalie, because they're all mad. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be a good goalie, wouldn't he? I have Johnson in that. Okay. Um, right back. John Prescott he was tenacious, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, got three more.
1: Left back. Oh, oh
3: dear me. Well, Prescott'd be hard left, wouldn't
2: he?
3: Yeah, probably. I think I think David Miliband and Andy Burnham would be lovely in midfield together, wouldn't they? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they would, wouldn't they? Okay. They look the part and this you know I me and sort of you know you can you imagine them, can't you? Sort of like control them. I'm trying to think of the striker. Um, so when Prescott Johnson Prescott David Miliband and Andy Burnham in central midfield, I'm yeah. trying to think of a striker up top. Imagine Reese Mogg up top. <laughs> Not Peter crap! <laughs> imagine Reece Mogg up top. I actually like to listened to your podcast when he came on here, and I thought it was absolutely incredible that he told everybody that was in the audience that the right thing to do around tax was to basically avoid paying as much as you can. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Was anybody here that night? Yeah. It was incredible, wasn't it? I thought it was fantastic that that he, he had the, sh- the cheek to do it.
1: <laughs> well, I, I sort of understand what he means. Is you shouldn't pay more tax than you are legally
3: required to. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But But there could be another
3: interpretation. He was describing his offshore accounts at that point when you were asking about his offshore account, wasn't he? He'd been asked about his offshore accounts, I think. Yeah. And he said, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) not right, is it? I feel like
1: I'm getting questioned more tonight than Gary. So, one last question, and it will be the finest question of them all to the lady there. Um, You talked
2: about football being the sport of social mobility that you can get there
1: from working class background. What do you think is the biggest lesson that society can learn from football? What's the biggest lesson society can learn from
3: football to make sure there's opportunity for everyone to progress? I think the fans and the supporters in the stadiums, of how we all come together 50,000, 60,000, 30,000, week in, week out, we socialise together, we celebrate together, we cry together if we lose, we suffer disappointment together, we jump together. Um, and that's how society should be, we should all suffer together but we should all, to be fair, celebrate together and share success together and I think football does that really well at times. I think sport's really important in that sense, it can be. Football can do so much, it can do so much and I think it is doing quite a lot more than it used to. Um, our stadiums are a lot safer now, a lot more inclusive. Um, and when you look at the sort of stadium of a football stadium, I think it is representative of communities. I think tickets need to be more... Look, well, We've got tickets down in football now for away tickets to £30. It's still a lot, but it's a step in the right direction. Manchester United, for it's difficult the last 10 years and they've had, have still frozen their, t- their, their ticket prices. So I think that it needs to be more affordable to, to more people. Um, but when you think of that spirit and that feeling in a football stadium and that goal because think of when Nottingham Forest scored that goal mm. and all those how many Nottingham Forest fans were, at, um, were in the stadium that day 30 36,000 36,000 people from Nottingham brought together from all different parts of Nottingham or all different parts of the country mm. all celebrating <laughs> 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 all celebrating together and that's how society should be yeah should um. like Wembley every day
1: flares going off what you're saying is, bring pyros into the workplace. <laughs> Any more, qu- we can't finish on the team Forest questions, so can we finish yeah, one well, more question? Well, I, I was going to ask you, in closing, okay. what would you rather see? England win the next World Cup, or Labour
3: win the next election? And what's your favourite biscuit? I thought you were going to ask me what um, Johnson, loses, um, Johnson loses his seat. I, have to I have to see, I have to see Johnson out of power in this country. Okay. I think it's in our interests, all of us, and that's Conservative. And to be fair, half of his party think the same. Nearly yeah. really half his party think the same. So you know, I'm not sort of saying anything staggering here. Um, <laughs> England winning a World Cup would do an incredible amount of good for us in the short term, and I think that would be something that would make us feel absolutely brilliant. But I feel as though we need a more I think it's really important to this country that we get a better government, so I would go with a Labour victory because I think that would have a greater impact on this country.
1: (laughs) Why do you hate Gareth (laughs)
2: Southgate?
1: I actually really like Gareth (laughs) Southgate. And what is your favourite biscuit? (coughs) Oh. The big question. What are the contenders? Do you eat biscuits or would it be better to ask about crisps?
3: <laughs> I'm trying to think what biscuits. Do you know what I used to love when I was. Until I found out they were bad for me, <laughs> I used to eat. I used to dunk a packet of custard creams into tea. Oh, yeah. So I, look at them. Uh. <laughs> In, In London. Get back, to, get back to the north of England, <laughs> you peasant. <laughs> Honestly, it's an incredible thing, but then I was told how much fat they did when we got a nutritionist. We all, we all had a nutritionist at United I think it was 21 by the time the nutritionist came. So for the first five years, we were just basically eating what we wanted. We, just didn't, we didn't have any information. I saw two turn the lights off, they're kicking us out here. <laughs> I don't get it off. Oh man. So,
1: to make you happy at the end of this year then, maybe England gets the final, Yes. but then Labour win the next election... And you celebrate with a pack of custard creams. <laughs> I would celebrate with a pack of custard creams. I'm one of those big sports direct mugs. To <laughs> to go. You'd probably get a whole packet of custard creams. Of those. Gary, this has been such a privilege, not just for me but for everyone here. It's been very, very special. Before we give a round of applause to Gary, please round of applause for everyone here at the, uh, who works at the Duchess tonight. Uh, who made it tonight possible. Everyone who works at Avalon. Thank you for being such a wonderful audience. But our final round of applause tonight, this has been off, this is even better than I would have ever dreamed, this has been a genuine (laughs) treat in so many ways, please give a huge thank you to the amazing Gary Neville! Thank you!
2: Thank you thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Oh man, I did not want that to end at all, he could have talked all night. I think he would have been happy to, and I'd have been happy to listen. What a charismatic force of nature he is, and and so thoughtful about it all. This isn't just sort of blind rage, uh, and uh, as attractive as that can be. This is nuanced and, and considered and funny. Um, but oh my word, there are times where I genuinely forgot I was talking to an ex-footballer and, and uh, treated him as if I was talking to... Um, politician i mean that with the highest of praise but oh man what a guy that was uh, a sensational experience and obviously as a football fan as an england fan it was a pleasure to meet him uh, let alone a pleasure to interview him so um my god that was uh, 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 i knew it was going to be great i genuinely did not expect it to be that great so i'm sure you enjoyed it as well um Please do leave a written review. It helps get the podcast up the charts. Share it with your friends. Uh, Follow Gary on Twitter at gnev 2 although he doesn't really need much help getting Twitter followers. And uh, share, subscribe, and just post it everywhere. Spread the word. And I will see you at some of those forthcoming shows, including the next three, David Davis on the 27th of June, and then Lindsay Hoyle, and then Alan Johnson in Edinburgh, Gordon Brown, Anna Sawa, and Joanna Cherry. Loads more guests booked. Uh, after the summer as well, and I've got a couple of tour dates left on the 8th of July in Leeds at the Wardrobe Theatre, and on the 13th of July at the Key Theatre in P- Peterborough. Oh, that old wisdom tooth. <laughs> Get, making me covered and done at the end, uh, and then at the Edinburgh Festival from the 3rd to the 28th of August, so I'll see you at one of those, and hopefully the next time uh, I'm speaking to you, I'll sound less silly. Ta-ra.